Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks, and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash. Earthquakes, too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next. Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the life of ourself, our family, and others. I would like to know what's coming. So who should I listen to? The politicians speak the loudest, but it seems they have confidence, but their record is not so good. Um, Historians, they study the past, uh, but not the future. Some say we should listen to them, and others say we shouldn't. How about Bible scholars? They say the Bible's always right. But we don't quite know when things are going to happen from them. And you can think about Nostradamus and other fortune tellers, but really it's pretty hard to decode what they have to say. And besides, if you look at what they have said in the past, they have, especially fortune tellers, they have a 50-50 chance of being correct. And that's the same as flipping a coin. Okay, so who else? I know, how about prophetic Christians? Uh, They tend to warn you instead of being a predictor, but um, there is still a chance, and and there have been ones who've predicted accurately in the past, and they have said some very interesting things about the United States and what we could expect. Uh, first, I will say, in general, they say that uh, there is a spiritual darkness to come over the land, followed by the spread of, well, let's call them difficulties or calamities in a physical sense, but nobody is given dates. And about these people, they they don't... Well, anyway, if you want to know names, uh, that's a different matter. Today, let's just talk about uh, one who has a good reputation, and that's David Wilkerson. He is uh, basically from New York City, and he has become widely acknowledged to be a prophet of God. And when he did speak prophetically in his 1973 vision, there were things that would happen, and we can listen to them and be cautious. The first thing he said was that there would be a worldwide recession, and the second thing would be earthquakes, famine, and a cosmic fire in the sky, and third, that there would be an abundance of filth like pornography, and fourth, there would be rebellion in the home, and fifth, there would be Christian persecution. Now, what about all these things happen, happening? Well, we still don't know when, but there's, there's uh, all these things that a prophet of God says will happen. Um, all this does also include a, a super world church with uh, widespread homosexuality and occult practices. So, in general, there will be Christian persecution and calamities. Now, after giving his warning about all these things happening, he says, but don't worry because God has everything under control. Yeah, that's right. God has not given us to have a spirit of fear, but rather a sound mind. So, that was his abbreviated description of his 1973 vision. So, like I said, recession, earthquakes, famine, and cosmic fire in the sky. We don't exactly know what that is, but there will be a bunch of things happening. So, I say, like I always do, start your preparations now before there is an urgent need and what you want is hard to find. This is episode 38, and remember to give thanks to God for the blessings that you do have. Your letters with questions or donations are important. 
John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222, Chico, California, 95927. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX. I save your God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Settle up your Welcome to Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is the program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness, where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. For God has called us to stand for truth, and having done all to stand, we will stand. It's time to fight the good fight of faith to preserve our country, our families, fortunes, and sacred honor to protect our property, our schools, and yes, maybe even salvage some of our churches. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Now, here is your host of Red Sky Radio, Rob Walter. Well, hello, America and the world, as you are listening to Red Sky Radio, where we ride hard the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you all. I have a special program. This program has been in the making for a long time. I have promised it for a long time. And it seems as though with the issues on the southern border with this caravan coming up from Central America and all that's gone on uh, at the California entry points, it was time to do a teaching using current day events on what the Bible says about immigration and the control of our borders. Now, if you thought, and this is the good news, I start with good news, we try to end with good news, in between you hang on, but this is the good news. There is no meaningful issue in life, not not a single one, that is really truly meaningful. It's not covered somewhere in the Bible, just because you haven't uh, come across it, maybe you haven't read the Bible, maybe you haven't read it enough times, maybe you read, need to read it eight, nine, ten times, maybe uh, as you go through it, I can tell you, I've been through the scriptures, I think, 14 times, and do you think I know it all? I do not. Number one, I'm amazed at how much I can forget just since the last time I read it, and number two, even that which I remember, even that which I remember, I am shocked, uh, stunned at what New insight God will give me going through it for the 15th or the 16th time. It's just amazing. So don't think that you can't read it. Don't think you can just read it once and be done with it. Gosh, you read your favorite novels three and four times. Uh, If the Bible doesn't exceed your favorite novel, then you're not really serious about pursuing God's truth. But if you do pursue it, you will find that all these issues, such as today's we're going to talk about immigration, If you pursue it, if you diligently seek it, you will find the answer. Now, a lot of open borders people are not going to be happy with this message today. But that's not my concern. I'm just a pizza delivery man. That's all I'm doing. I'm just bringing you what the Bible says about this. You can fight with him. You can argue with him. I'm just just bringing you the message. I'm dropping it off at your door. You can do with it as you please. But if you do have a comment, a question, a criticism, uh, I'm available, info, I-N-F-O, at redskyradio.net, info at redskyradio.net, and you can get the podcasts for this program. Um, if you want a podcast, you can get it on darkskyradio.com, darkskyradio.com, or if you just want to listen to the program, it's available on our webpage at redskyradio.net, redskyradio.net. So there's all your options. Those I don't even understand podcasts, uh, but somebody else is taking care of that for me, and God bless them, and I thank them for it. So here we're going to get going here, but I, I'm going to start with a couple of uh, comments 
dealing with the immigration situation and what's happening at the border with a little bit of background. Now, this has been something that uh, has been made a, a, a huge deal by, frankly, and what I, I consider the demonic force element inside the mainstream media. It may not just be within it. It just simply may be what defines a mainstream media. These people have no use for the truth. They love lies. They have no use for clarity. They, they love obfuscation, which means purposeful confusion, mixing and blending of thoughts and ideas on purpose so as to mislead people or maybe as in the case of Barack Obama, to simply bury them with this garbage in such a manner that they really don't know what the person has said, but they can say they've covered the topic. They don't come from a biblical position. They come from a position that's, that's bibliophobic, Christophobic, is anti-constitutional, and it's un-American. Yeah, you think, well, that, and, and those aren't really very different. To me, a person who's pro-constitution is pro-American. That's, that's the deal. I don't see how you can see it, frankly, any other way. Now, the, the, the democratic approach to immigration is this. We don't really care about these people, but we're going to use them as pawns like we've used blacks as pawns, like we use Hispanics as pawns, like we use the poor as pawns. We promise all sorts of tchotchkes, uh, social tchotchkes for these people, and we'll give it to them because that way we'll get their vote. And it works. They've done a great job of, of misleading and luring people onto the Democratic plantation for a few meals, free meals, so to speak. The only reason that they're for open borders and loose immigration laws is because they have the machinery and the mechanism and they have the lack of discipline and the lack of morals to follow a righteous path dealing with immigrants, but instead lure them into that party, promise them a bunch of, like I said, a bunch of tchotchkes for their vote. They don't care about the ultimate end of the United States unless the ultimate end of the United States means it's part of some grand one-world federation because the Democrats are, frankly, really totally and completely fine with surrendering the sovereignty of the greatest and longest-lasting constitutional republic in the history of the world. That's a fact, Brock. That's a fact, Hillary. That's a fact, Ocasio-Cortez. That's a fact, Cory Booker. Now, we had an amnesty experiment back in the 80s with Ronald Reagan. It was a disaster. One of Reagan's worst moves. And I'm going to give you an analogy to explain why it was a disaster and why what the Democrats are supposing or suggesting is a disaster of the identical making. It serves their purpose but it also continues to serve their purpose well into the future. The Democrat approach is, all right, let's, we're not going to seal the border. Let's deal with all the illegals that are inside the United States, and it could be the illegals that are inside any one of the countries of the people who are listening to this program. Because this program is, the principles of this program are by no means limited to the United States this particular program dealing with immigration and God's word, what it says about it, which he says a lot, applies, of course, throughout the world to every single country. So take this wherever you are as being directed specifically to you. Okay, the Democratic approach in this country has been, let's do this. Let's deal with all the people that are here. Let's deal with all the illegals that are here, and then we'll get around to closing the border and dealing with those issues. Let's take what they call first things first. You see, that's what Reagan did, and it was a complete and total waste. All it did was increase the illegal immigration. The right approach, of course, is anything that's exact opposite of what the Democrats suggest in this country. The right approach is first you close the borders, you secure your borders, you establish the integrity of your border, then you can take a deep breath and you can say, all right, whew, that's done, now let's deal with the people who are, who are here 
illegally or whatever the situation may be. We can identify the numbers where they are. They aren't just coming and going across the border all the time. We can deal with them and deal with them fairly, whatever that might be at that point in time. But here's the analogy. The Democrat approach is like a boat that has a hole in it and it's spewing water up into the boat. And the Democrats say, let's bail. Let's deal with the water that's in our boat. And when we get all the water out of our boat, then we'll plug the hole. It's completely asinine. It's completely, it's just absolutely ridiculous, if not evil. And you can be both stupid and evil. I'm not suggesting those are mutually exclusive. The right approach is before you bail, because you're going to be bailing forever, obviously, if you don't plug the hole first, you're bailing forever which is exactly what the Democrats want. They want you bailing forever, forever dealing with those who are here illegally, and because you can never get that problem done, you never ever get around to securing the border, which means more people continue to come in while you're forever dealing with those who are here because in another five days there's another 10,000 here. It's exactly what they want, and they add to the Democrat roles when it comes around to voting. That's all they care about. I mean, consider this, folks. In the United States, you can't, get, you can't get a book from the library with some form of voter ID. You can't get on a plane without voter ID, which contains a picture. Look, do you have a right to fly on an airplane? Well, no, not if you don't have that. Well, you don't have a right to vote if you can't prove yourself to be a citizen. But see, the Democrats don't want that. They want all these laws broken down because they are fundamentally lawless. They are lawbreakers at heart, and they will use the breaking of the law and the lawlessness to further their gain, which is a complete domination and control over all of society. That's all they really want. They are not interested in plugging the hole in the boat. They want to keep us completely exhausted, spending all of our funds under the uh, Sololinsky idea, the Cloward, Cloward uh, what is it, uh, Cloward Poven, I can't think of the name of it, strategy right now to exhaust the resources of the host capitalistic entrepreneurial country, and that way it will ultimately cave and implode and crash, and you'll land in socialism by necessity because the capitalistic society can't hold up because of the unrealistic demands made upon it by illegal immigration, excessive welfare benefits. Go right on down the line and take a look at Barack Obama, and you got the guy who started it. Now, it's not his idea. Cloward Piven, I'm sorry. It just came to me. The Cloward, C-L-O-W-A-R-D, Piven, P as in Paul, I, V as in Victor, E-N. Look it up. You'll be shocked. You'll see the connection with Saul Alinsky, and you'll see that this is the left-wing strategy to destroying the United States, not from out, from without directly, but largely from within, by making policies that make it easier for the forces that are without to come in and further enhance the destruction and demise of, as I said, the longest-running constitutional republic in the history of the world. Okay, so you got the boat analogy. You go about the voter ID. I mean, I just can't even imagine something as sacred as the right to vote, which in a lot of countries doesn't exist, the Democrats would be play so play so fast and loose with a sacred right for their stupid ends of control and domination and what ultimately is driven by I'm sorry but there's no other description for it a demonic desire to drive everything biblical out of the United States because this country was founded upon the word of God not Mexico there was a lust for gold not Canada there lust for furs not that, uh, you know, the desire to make money is bad, but this country had a unique origin, and the devil wants to destroy it. Well, there's another reason that, that open borders, which is an oxymoron. We'll get to that in a minute. Open borders is just a bad idea because it forces nations. Open borders will absolutely and quickly force nations into surrendering their sovereignty, and yielding to a one-world government, but at first it will be regional governments. Think the EU. 
You move back and forth. It was how many countries? I mean, I don't even know how many countries are in the EU now. But now you got Brexit with England. Hey, say, I want out of this party. I want to get, I came to the wrong party. I want out. I don't blame him. God bless you, England, for getting the heck out of the EU. Because when you are part of that larger cartel, if you will, you will sacrifice your sovereignty. That's what open borders does. You give up your sovereignty. And as it more nations give up their sovereignty, it leads naturally to a one-world government described in the Bible very clearly, great specificity, as being run by the Antichrist. So if that's what you're into, if you're into Antichrist, if you hate Jesus and all that stuff, you'll probably support a one-world government. Folks, I do not want to be like 200 other nations in this world where there are not whatever, not the right to vote, and there's all of these built-in recipes for disaster. I don't want to be like Honduras and El, uh, El Salvador and, and countries where they're fleeing because there's so much corruption and drugs and illegal activity. I don't want to be like them. But I certainly don't want to let those in from those countries that would make this country more like them. Take the battle between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. And I don't want to get into this because I can't say that I know enough to speak authoritatively about it. But what comes out of Yemen is not good. You want Yemen influencing Saudi Arabia? I don't think so. So what do you do? You maintain your borders. Well, I you know what I I got I got to get on to the heart of what I was going to talk. That was just my preliminary, folks. Those are just the opening comments. Because Congress and the media approach to uh, uh, the old Congress under Barack Obama, but the current media and what will be the new Congress under uh, Nancy Pelosi, who I might add, I'm thrilled Nancy Pelosi is going to be Speaker of the House. Now, you're going to think I'm nuts, right? I, you can say, I've heard this. I can't believe you'd be okay. You're fine with Nancy Pelosi being the Speaker of the House. I am. Because most of the people in Congress are increasingly, well, they're increasingly to the left of Nancy, and Nancy is a complete idiot. She's an absolute total moron. She's a vacuum head. She's a space cadet. I'm sorry these, these sound like I'm judging her. No, it's just a fact. She is an idiot. And I would love nothing more than Nancy Pelosi being on the national stage as the national buffoon representing the Democrat Party. I can't think of anything more fitting than a buffoon like her being the picture of the Democrat Party. People look at her, listen to her, and say, my gosh, is this what we voted for? I love the fact that she is going to be Speaker of the House. Okay, moving back to this, though, back to the immigration thing. The media, obviously, is driven, run, operated, fueled by the left. And... There is so much that they don't tell you that would be helpful in understanding, and there are things that they expand, exploit, exaggerate on things that are somewhat meaningless. And I don't want to go into those because you've read that and you've heard that on the news. I want to get on to what Scripture says here about the issue of borders. Now, you're going to want to get a notepad because I'm not going to, There's a couple of passages I'm going to read because of that critical. I'm going to read them, but most of them I'm not. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you what they say generally, but you're going to want to write them down and do your own study because I can guarantee you if I can fit this all in, if I can fit this all in in this program, this is going to be the most comprehensive biblical analysis of immigration you have ever heard. You will not get this from any pulpit, even though I did it from a pulpit. Preachers don't have the guts to preach what you're going to hear here because it sounds like it's too offensive. It's it's oh, it upsets people. It's not very kind. You know what? I don't give a rat's rear end about people's feelings if people's feelings don't line up with God's word. I'm not here to tick you off or anybody else off. But I'll tell you, when it comes down to pleasing God or pleasing man, guess what side I'm going to fall on or at least what side I'm going to make every attempt with all sincerity in my heart to fall on. I'm coming down on God's side. Forget man. Like it says in Scripture, it says, let God be true and every man a liar. That's right. That means if all 7 billion people or whatever there is in the world, let's call it 7 billion and one. 
and all seven billion are liars, and you're the only one that believes God, guess what? You are in the majority. You are in the position of power and authority. You only need God on your side. You don't need the seven billion. So we're going to hear what God has to say about this, and you write down these passages. Some of these you have never heard before because you've not read what we call the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is not the Old. There is an Old Testament, but it's not what we call the Old Testament. The only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I can sum it up in one sentence. The only difference is it deals with those scriptures that relate to the manner by which we become saved. In the Old Testament, all those things that dealt with works have been blotted out, like it says, uh, I think, in Philippians, have been nailed to the cross, the ordinances, and the New Testament is written in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only difference. When somebody said, well, that's, uh, I say, well, that's from the book of uh, Ezekiel. Oh, that's Old Testament. I said, no, it's not. It's, Ezekiel is not Old Testament. We've called it Old Testament. Jesus didn't call it Old Testament. Paul didn't call it Old Testament. It's just Scripture. Look, man has put the two, pla- the two blank pages in the Bible after the end of Malachi, before the beginning of Matthew. We have created that distinction. We have called everything up to the end of Malachi, Old Testament, the beginning of Matthew, New Testament. That is our invention, that it was our creation. The Jews never said that in, the, in what we call the New Testament. Through the Gospels, they don't refer to it as the Old Testament, as something that happened before that has no relevance. Certain things don't. Like I said, how you got saved, the handwriting on the, or the ordinances that were written, you are not saved by, by all of the, the hand washings, the taste not, the touch not, all those things that Paul referenced. Those formalities have been blotted out by the blood of Jesus. There's a difference, but everything else applies. And you are at great risk of being wrong on a host of issues if you don't know what we call the Old Testament, but it's just simply God's word. Okay, I said all that because I'm going to start with one you've probably not heard of, Obadiah 11. Obadiah 11. Write it down. It simply says that the country of Edom was chastised severely by God for doing nothing when foreigners broke through the gates of Jerusalem. Nothing. They did nothing to protect the borders of Jerusalem. And they broke through the gates. They did nothing. They were chastised for it. Nehemiah. Just write down the whole book. Just write, you need to read the book of Nehemiah. Great book. But Nehemiah was ordered by God to build, guess what? What a dink to build a wall. A wall. And why was he ordered by God to build a wall? To ensure that the interests, the values, the culture, and yes, the religion of the Hebrews would be preserved. A wall. To preserve the culture, the values, the interests, and the religion of the occupants of that area behind the wall. Amazing? I don't think so. Just because you've just discovered it, it may be amazing. But this is why this is a legitimate use of walls. Borders. You think borders are irrelevant? First of all, there's no greater oxymoron in the world than open borders. There really isn't. I mean, if a border is open, it's not a border, right? If, it's, if there's open, it's not a border. And if there's a border, it's not open. It's an oxymoron. It's like honest politician or jumbo shrimp. It's a contradiction in terms. Scripture references 197 references to borders. 197. Now, there are about a dozen or so that reference the borders of a person's garment. Maybe a dozen or so. So you can throw those out, at least as having relevance to this discussion. The borders would be irrelevant if they did not define where certain people have a right to be and others don't have a right to be. Let's say that again. Borders are irrelevant if they didn't define where certain people have a right to be and others don't have a right to be. If it's open, it's not a border. 
If it's a border, it's not open. It's like what they have those for those dogs, the invisible fences or something like that, where the dog can't see the fence and he runs through it and then he starts yelping. And I don't really quite understand that. And you know what? I don't know even why I said it. But next passage to write down, Psalm 74, 17. Psalm 74, 17. It is clear. God lays it out. The Lord has established all the borders of the earth and boundaries of the nations. God has set up the borders of the nations. So wait a second. If God has set up the borders, who are we to unborder our border? Who are we to say that it's irrelevant except at our own peril when God says that he established the border? And for what reason? Just to let it be a gate that everybody passes through for whenever they feel like it? And not only that, but when the Hebrews came into the land of Canaan, it was with incredible detail. I like to call it specificity. God was very specific in Numbers 34 about describing the borders of the land of the various tribes. Well, why? Well, you're, well, one tribe was supposed to stay in a particular area. Why would God go to all of this detail if it were totally and completely irrelevant? He wouldn't. Four times, folks, people are admonished in the Proverbs to not remove landmarks. Four times. Now, look, I'm, an, I'm a lawyer. I've seen, these, I've seen some old legal descriptions that will say, well, this runs on a line going 47.8 feet till you get to the large rock. There are some of those. The rock was a landmark for somebody's uh, land. You don't get to change somebody else's border. You don't get to go move the rock eight feet closer to your house I'm sorry, eight feet farther away from your house, and by so doing, actually steal your neighbor's land. You have violated your neighbor's border. It's stealing land to move a landmark and change it to a location that you vi- you're already on the other person's land, and now you do it in an attempt to gain more land. You've stolen their land by removing that which the legal document calls upon for identifying that, that particular lot. Look, how many of you listening have fences? you got fences, right? What are the fences there, to keep the rabbits out? No, the fence is there to demarcate your border. Maybe it's there to protect your roses from deer. If you think you can protect roses from deer, I'm here to tell you, you cannot. If you got deer, you could build a Berlin Wall. I don't think you'd keep those guys out. We tried it. They, we had fences to keep deer out. Didn't keep them out. You would plant the rose bushes close to the house. They wouldn't. They eat them. Look, they even ate our Christmas wreath. And my wife, in an attempt to keep them from eating it, changed the Christmas wreath one year to plastic. She said, "I'm going to get. To, I'm going to get those guys." No, the deer mulled the plastic wreath. Look, those fences are there for a reason. It's to keep or at least to attempt to keep out things that do not belong within your border. And while we're at break, you go look up Exodus 22.2. We're going to talk about a very personal border before we get to some things you just you just got to hear. We'll be right back. Rob Walter, Red Sky Radio. Don't go away. Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter, but in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, 
P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. We are back. This is Rob Walter of the Red Sky Radio. You see, I can't just pick up and go to Kathmandu, can I? No, I got to have a passport, but they got other security features probably in Nepal. I don't just get to go wherever I want. I don't know that they have an open border. I don't think that they have. Maybe they got borders that are too rough to patrol and so forth because you take your life in your own hands getting in and out through uh, the mountains. But you don't just get to go wherever you want. Sorry. Exodus 22, 2, did you look it up? It says that when a thief breaks in at night, you may kill him. You don't have to see if the person's armed. At night, you can presume that the person is going to do you harm because he or she, but mostly he's, have violated your border. Now, you don't have that right if somebody breaks and violates your border in the daytime automatically if they threaten you and they pose an, uh, an imminent threat of serious bodily harm or death you can toast them with your 357 magnum but in the daytime you can also find out and you have an opportunity to see if it's the 12 year old kid next door who's broken in and he's not armed he's 12 years old he's 88 pounds or what have you at night you don't have to you don't have to wait around to see if they're going to kill you first before you get to shoot. The Bible says at night they violated a border that is sacred, your home. You don't even have to know what they look like, how big they are, whether they've got a gun or a knife or or a or uh, a pea shooter. You can kill them. That's what God says. I'm with him. Okay. Write this passage down, Micah, Micah chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, talks about the Assyrian coming into your land. And he, tre- and he says, in the Assyrian, then when the Assyrian treads in your palaces, you then may rise up and deal with the Assyrians that have come in, because, and you may actually go and deal with them in their own country, because they're violation of your country. And verse uh, 6 of Micah says, Thus you shall, uh, he, he shall deliver us from the Assyrian, that means your own, your own people, may de- shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. This is not even a case of just defending your border. This is a matter of being able, when there is an effort or concerted effort of some sort by a group to invade and and breach your border that you actually have the right to go waste their land because it's an invasion and you deal with it at its source the source tends to be their own land now this caravan coming from honduras and from all whatever places down there that's not so easily identifiable but i just want to make this point and point this out now elsewhere in in Malachi, it makes it clear that there are certain laws which apply to the citizen and then also apply to the stranger and the foreigner. So if you do have, if there is an illegal, you don't just get to pull out your gun and shoot them. You don't get to just run them down with your car. You don't have that. There are certain laws that apply across the board. Okay, we just kind of understand there's a certain basic civility that is that is laid out in Malachi 3 5. Write that down, Leviticus 19, 33 through 35, Numbers 15, 15, and Ezekiel uh, 47, 22 to 23. Those are just four passages that point to the fact that there's a certain civility owed to the stranger and the foreigner. <clears throat> All right, that's quite clear. If you need those verses again, you're just going to have to go get the podcast and hear it again. I'm at the 34-minute mark. 
if that helps you get to this point where I read those off. But now you need to look at something that is incredibly instructive from Scripture as to how you deal with immigration, and it comes out of Exodus chapter 12, and it deals with in uh, verses uh, 43 to 49. 43 to 49. And it says here that, uh, well, let's start with verse 45, the interest of time. No, I can't, I got to start with 43. This is not going to make sense. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No stranger may eat thereof. No stranger may eat of the Passover. Every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou circumcised him, they shall eat thereof. But a foreigner shall not eat thereof. And one house shall be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth out of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep the Passover. But when a stranger sojourns with thee in the land and will keep the Passover, in other words, he wants, this is a foreigner who wants to participate in and be wedded to the culture and the values and the land of Israel. In other words, he wants to be a recognized legal immigrant, if you will. He wants to be a citizen. This is what it comes down to. There was a requirement. It says if they want to keep the Passover to the Lord, and there are other things, then let all the males be circumcised. Let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. So and what am I saying? We set up circumcision squads, circumcision patrols at the border. Of course not. What I'm saying is the Bible set forth something as a test for those foreigners to determine and identify, do they really want to be part of this country, part of this language, part of this religion, most of all, and participate in the culture as if you were born here, you were a natural citizen of this country. It happened to be circumcision. There was a little price to pay, I might say. These are all adult males. But that was the test for citizenship in the Commonwealth of Israel, as it's called. There was a test. If you want to eat the Passover, if you want to participate in these feasts, but it just isn't the feast. There were other consequences pointed out in Scripture if you chose to remain a foreigner and not be circumcised. For example, you've heard of the Jubilee, where the debts are released. The debts were only released for the citizens. The foreigners, you could continue to collect the debt. No release of debts, no bankruptcy proceedings <laughs> were available to non-citizens, to foreigners, those who didn't get circumcised and become part of the land. You could charge foreigners as much interest as you want. There was no limit. But to the citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel, which included those born there, the Jews, as well as the, as the strangers who came in, became citizens through circumcision, you could not charge interest. But the sky's the limit. No usury laws to the foreigner. This is, and there are other differences. So let me, just before I go any further, let me just sort of summarize where we are because this is important. Kind of number one, borders mean something. It's the right to identify. It's a sovereignty which is of necessity, and this necessity of sovereignty includes the absolute right to control our borders. God referenced 197 times uh, the concept of borders, 185 or so, meaning natural physical borders. God has called those borders relevant, and we only will call them irrelevant at our peril. Number two, there's a difference between the strangers who choose to identify with us, dwell with us, seek to know and abide our laws, our customs, and in the case of Israel, their religion, there's a difference between those guys and the foreigners who come and who have no such interest 
in truly becoming a citizen of, in the case of Scripture, the Commonwealth of in, uh, of, of Israel, or in our case, the, common, uh, the United States of America, or your country, wherever you are listening. Number three, while there are certain fundamental laws of equity and fairness that apply to all, Scripture specifically acknowledges the right of the host country to have certain rules which translate into preferring citizens over non-citizens, those who are here but have no desire to become and dwell truly among us as a citizen of the United States, upholding our Constitution, our values, our culture, and I might add, at least our historical faith. That's where we are. That's, that's the summary of where we've come so far. But now the going gets a little bit tougher, and I'm going to cover as much of this as I can in our remaining time because it's important. But you have the essence for the biblical pattern of immigration. It is all there for you, and you would not know any of it if you didn't study what we call, what society calls the Old Testament. I just simply call it Scripture. So, can you lose your country? Can God change your border effectively? Yes. The answer is clearly yes. The Hebrews lost their borders because of sin. Their borders came became irrelevant. Their borders became open to the Assyrians, the the Mede, uh, Assyrians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Philistines. When you violate God's word and violate it long enough and strong enough, that border gets realigned. And and I do not have time to read this, but I'm going to give you a passage which will should shake you to the core, especially those of you listening to this program who live in the United States. Leviticus 18, 20 to 28. And I'll summarize it. In that passage, God says, look, Israel, I drove out all these corrupt and immoral nations before you. I have given you this land. I have established your borders. I have given everyone an inheritance and your inheritance in the land. But you are doing things that are worse than the nations that I drove out. You're committing adultery. You're committing queer sex. That's right. That's what it says in that passage. You're offering up your children to Molech. Let's, uh, what do you call 62 million aborted children in the United States? Offering up your children as a sacrifice to some god of pleasure. Yeah, if you have incest, and we have people pushing for legalization of incest in this country, if you have sex with an animal, you're into bestiality, you are doing, Israel, things that are worse than the nations that I drove out. And because you are worse than the nations I drove out, I am going to spit you, vomit you, puke you out of the land. In other words... You're going to get hauled off. Your borders will no longer be borders. Because you have sinned long enough and strong enough to the point where I am realigning the borders. And I am going to open up the borders. And the people will come in because of your sin. Isn't that amazing? Now, next passage. i got to move quickly here. Exodus 34, 24. Exodus 34, 24. This is a prescription for protecting your borders of a nation. In this passage, God is saying, if you, the, the, the specific situation where if your men, your men, anatomical men, okay, will do their religious duty. They go up to Jerusalem three times a year. I will prevent those who want to take your land from coming in. I will protect your borders if you men rise up and be men of God. I will protect 
your borders. I will do that. I will protect your border. And we're not talking about somebody who is, you know, maybe seeking asylum, but basically those who are coming here to rape and plunder this country for its goods and benefits and change it over to forms of law, which we do not receive, we specifically reject, and they are against the faith that established this nation. I'll protect you. You do what you're supposed to do. I will protect your backside. I've got your back, is what God is essentially saying in that passage. Now, what happens if you don't? Well, we just read about God spewing the Israelites out of the nation of Israel, which means the opening of borders. But there's something even more specific, more direct, more applicable to the United States than that passage, and it comes out of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, I want to just say the first uh, 15 verses of Deuteronomy 28 detail the blessings of a nation whose God is the Lord. I mean, you're blessed in your field, you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in your coming in and you're going out. Your cattle will be blessed. You won't get raped and plundered by foreign nations. All of this stuff. You are blessed. And the United States was a nation that was desired of people to come here for its goodness. For its goodness. And keep in mind, the only reason we have the laws dealing with with immigration as it is, is because when it was established, there was a lot of land that was not inhabited. It needed to be taken under control. It needed to be domesticated. It needed to be advanced. And God blessed this nation because our God was the Lord. And people came here for the right reason. I mean, the stories of immigrants in this nation are a phenomenal story. My grandparents on my mother's side came here as young children. My great-grandparents from the Netherlands, seeking religious freedom. And they came, they learned the language, they worked hard. They have, there are success stories by the millions. But that was when this nation stood for the right things. And we, while this nation wasn't perfect, we went through our periods with slavery and everything. The overall progression of this country was that it became better. And as it became better, it became stronger. And our values were to be, were envied throughout the world. Now, clearly, under Barack Obama, our number one export was sin. Queer garbage, queer crap all over. He was into that. Abortion. I mean, the guy was the worst president in the history of the United States. And don't think I'm beating up on blacks. He's half black and he's half white. He brought together the worst of black liberal theology with a condescending uh, leftist white arrogance. He was the worst of, of both. And there is the best of both. I've got black brothers and sisters I love dearly. There are whites that I know that I kind of I despise them uh, because they 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 really truly hate they know the truth and they hold the truth in unrighteousness. They use God's word to advance the agenda of the devil. I've said it a gazillion times. I'll say it once again. This country needs a whole big host of blacks and Hispanics that are God fearing to rise up and run for political office. Okay, end of that little thing. But back to Deuteronomy, chapter 28, the first 15 verses, the nation whose God is the Lord. The next verses from, what, 16 to, I think, 49 or so, detail what happens when you don't do that. And I want to read you something that will shake you to the core. And it's the truth, and it's happening in the United States. And it happens to be verses 43, well, and verse 44. It says, the stranger, this is a consequence now of all the preceding verses which detail all the sins of the nation. They've gone on a terror for the the devil. It says in verse 43, 
the stranger that is within thee shall get up above you very high, and thou shalt come down very low. He shall lend to you. You shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Are you getting this? When a nation sins, God will allow the strangers and the foreigners who have no interest in this country because this, in, this country is not what it ought to be and what it used to be to be attractive to the right people for the right reasons. God will allow those who come in who have a desire to plunder, rape, steal, trans, and just and seek opportunity that would be not much different than a thief seeks when he breaks into a store or a home. And God says, I'll give it over to them. They're going to rise up higher and higher. You're going to be less and less. They'll be the head. You'll be the tail. They'll own the land. You'll be the tenant. They'll be the landowner. You're going to be the renter. You no longer own your lands. It's being taken over, and I, the God, have allowed it. So let me just apply this to the United States, but you can apply this to Germany. You can apply this to a number of European countries who've gone just stupid in the um, in the immigration department, but their stupidity appears to be of God because those nations have walked away and they have done the evil that God has laid out here in Deuteronomy, much like the United States appears to be in the course of doing, and we are reaping what we have sown. This is a consequence that despite all of the scriptural rights to do all that we've mentioned in this message today, it could be that God could give us over to foreigners just like he did Israel. Go read that passage and see if the evil that's being done between that and Leviticus 18 sort of is, is eerily familiar with this country. Could he give us over to foreigners like he did Israel? Absolutely. You see, if if the U.S. is ultimately taken over by whatever, Mexico, uh, Sharia wonks, it's not that our, our country, our Constitution does not permit Sharia law. Sharia law is an absolute contradiction to the U.S. Constitution. Sharia law is not a democracy, not a constitutional republic, more accurately. Quite the contrary. But does God give it up, whether it's to Mexico, whether it's to who knows what foreign country, because they are better or stronger than we? No. I'm not knocking Mexico or any other country. But if God gives the United States up to another country, or you're in a country that's being given up to some foreigners, it's not because that foreign country or those foreigners are better. It's because the host country has been involved in a long and strong effort uh, down the path of intense and unrepentant sin. God does not put up with it forever. You know, we say we have a vacuum in the United States. We can't get good workers. I heard George Bush say it. I heard Barack Obama say it. I have not heard Donald Trump say it. Donald Trump said, no, we don't have a shortage of good workers. We just have a shortage of good jobs. Totally different viewpoint. But George Bush, who I am not a fan of any longer, yeah, he was great for relative to who he was running against. And Barack was bad news from the beginning, bad news Barack. They talk about the we don't have the workers. We've got to, we don't have good enough workers here. We don't have enough good workers. Well, guess what? When you execute sixty two million innocent unborn human beings, known as children, when you have a holocaust against the unborn, guess what? You have created that vacuum into which come foreigners, both to fill the vacuum of the labor force, but also as a judgment against the country that so freely, willingly, and subsidizing the execution of its unborn. 
The answer, if you're in the United States, you're in Germany, you're in Russia, you're in Saudi Arabia, I don't care where you are, is to repent. The nation needs to repent. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. All the nation's living former presidents joined President Trump at the state funeral for George H.W. Bush. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reports. Inside Washington National Cathedral, on the front row, sat the President's Club. They came together to honor 